You're listening to audio from Noest Anglican. If you'd like to find out more about us, visit noest.org. Well, hello and welcome to another week of the Noest Anglican podcast. Great to be with, with James here. Hello, hello. And I'm Tim in the host seat for this morning. Uh, and we're thinking about the creed, James. We've uh, mm. just covered our third week in thick religion. We're thinking about the things that shape us and mould us as part of the Christian story. And today we're thinking about the creeds and the role that they play and why it is that they are a part of our Sunday gatherings. Mm. Uh, I thought it was a really rich day. Happy Mother's Day again to all of our mothers. Um, fantastic to be able to celebrate Mother's Day with you uh, and at church. And uh, then to go from the uh, the rich motherhood themes of Mother's Day to the rich fatherhood themes of the creed. It was uh, it was a, a wonderfully um, parallel uh, church service experience for us yesterday. Um, James, one of the things that I, just straight off the bat, one of the things I thought was really uh, interesting, and this came up a couple of times in sort of uh, anecdotal conversations throughout the day, one of the things that you drew out in the sermon really helpfully was the, uh, the powerful uh, display of, of uh, communion that the creeds bring, mm, that we mm. stand and we say, we believe this mm, when we mm. stand and say the Nicene Creed. And so a couple of people came up to me and said, well, therefore, should we not say we believe when we say the Apostles' Creed mm. as well? Because the Apostles' Creed, the language that goes up on the screens when we say that is, yeah. I believe. I believe yeah. And when we sing the song, it's, I believe. So are we doing it wrong? <laughs> Should we say we believe for the Apostles' Creed as well? Yeah, I mean, first kind of part of that is to say that there's something nice about the difference in sense of I believe it's very personal, so I'm not hiding or just caught up in a group and so I get carried along that, but I'm actually making a personal confession in the Apostles' Creed. Um, and, yeah, as you say, the Nicene Creed really grabs that we believe. My understanding is that historically the Apostles' Creed was more of a, um, a baptismal preparation so in the early church when um, it was very secret because of the Roman oversight and so on, uh, but when someone's being prepared for baptism, they would be given something like the Apostles' Creed and kind of some churches apparently used like a question-answer type thing as well. Um, and so it's really like you're, being, you're saying you want to be baptised a Christian and you have to say, this is what I believe. And so it's a, a kind of personal preparation. Whereas the Nicene Creed and other later creeds kind of come out of this um, false teaching kind of influencing the church creeping in and so the councils that um, they get together and they're like okay let's look at the scriptures again what do we know about god no it's not this it is this and this is what we stand together this is what we believe together and so like the nicene creed was very much a um a ga- gathering together around the true faith around the teaching of the apostles and and the, the appearing of jesus yeah, right. Yeah. So it's not just a matter of variety is the spice of life. No, exactly. So, uh, there's actually historical grounding for that. Yeah. Now, I suppose to in the broader context of the series, like how important is it to be um, historically aware or historically informed in the faith that we hold? Because I could imagine many people saying, I don't really care what people decided mm. in, you know, 300 AD. I just care about what the Bible says and I want to live that out, the, you know, the, the yeah. no creed but yeah. the Bible sort yeah. of stance that yeah, you mentioned yeah. in the sermon. So how important is it for us to be informed by history? I, I think really important because um, it protects us against this kind of um, chronological snobbery, I think was C.S. Lewis's phrase, uh, this idea that, and, and we're at risk of that, of thinking only what's now and here and we've experienced is the real, you know, we're always getting better, we're always smarter, we're always sharper. Yeah. And I think our world shows us that we don't. Um, uh, and so actually there's a real value in having that humility to see what 
others have wrestled with before. Now, perhaps more kind of traditional parts of the church might kind of go, well, because they said in the past, therefore it's we have to do it or um, almost uh, in some kind of, I think, like uh, more orthodox traditions, the church is kind of the living witness of the spirit and so they give a greater emphasis to what the church um, said then over scripture. Um, we're in danger of just kind of going no creed but the Bible and I think we rob ourselves of the lessons that history have, have taught and and just being really thankful and humble for the brothers and sisters who came before us who stood for the truth about Jesus in really difficult circumstances and their hard work and their wrestling with what a creed is and making sure that was passed on means that we are in a good place where we actually know the truth. Like if they dropped the ball, who knows where we would have ended up, right? Um, and so I think that it's not that we're kind of always kind of harking back, but it just being an awareness of it and uh, protecting our sense against that cultural, you know, chronological snobbery that we're, you know, everything is new yeah. and fresh is best. Which is the lie of progressivism. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we you know, sometimes progressivism is helpful and sometimes conservatism is helpful, but if you take those both things as examples or you take them sort of as an either or, um, you know, the challenge with conservatism is that you'll be blind to opportunities to do things differently because you're so stuck mm, in, the, mm. in your ways. But the lie of progressivism is is that sense that you've just articulated that says anything we do that's new is better because yeah. we're advancing as a yeah. species that's or right. a civilization right. or whatever. But actually, when you you look back with the eyes of history, you see we're actually making the same mistakes that we've been doing for you know, <laughs> yeah, millennia. Yeah. And so we can learn from our brothers and sisters from different centuries who actually, they might have had some wisdom. You know, yeah, they might that's have right. Someone, someone before you might have actually worked something out. That's yeah, right. That's right. Um, and we're able to look at issues without our cultural blind spots that we yeah. just don't know what they are. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. So, I, and I think I was just trying to say in the sermon that we do tend to read the scriptures in a certain way, and that's that's not a judgment because everyone does it because you are to some degree influenced by the, the air, the breathe around you. But and so things like um, understanding church history, um, reading people before you, looking at the creeds as we've done, and saying understanding their historical context kind of lifts you out of that. And kind of you, yeah, if you're going to read the Bible, you've got to read it with a Chalcedon or a Nicene or Apostles' Creed kind of framework because that reminds you that there's one God who created all things and this is what Jesus is like and this is what he came and did and so on. Um, so that that kind of provides a good filter. Um, had a really interesting question about, um, so then for, do the creeds have the same kind of standing as the scriptures? Mm. And I was very, in the conversation with young adult, very clear to say no, mm. they are human constructions. They're not inspired by God. Um, and so they should always be critiqued and, um, you should be able to uh, see them in the scriptures and see that they're an expression of the scriptures, um, but they're a really helpful guide um, and companion, if you like, um, as we kind of read the Bibles to go, oh, yeah, what have other people thought? Yeah, let's let's correct that on what I thought because I'm understanding actually, you know, this is reminding me that God is big or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, able to be critiqued, but we ought to be slow to critique them because yeah. of yeah. all those reasons that we mentioned yeah. before. Yeah. Um, the uh, You mentioned about... Uh, some of those churches that are more steeped in the liturgical tradition, um, and in uh, and so perhaps use the creed more often. Perhaps those are um, that place too strong an emphasis on on the historical. Perhaps, um, and also you mentioned in the sermon yesterday you talked about other parts of the church that have wandered from mm. uh, the faith that have mm. forgotten uh, the true articulation of the gospel. Um, as you walked us through that in the sermon. Um, and often, as I was sitting there, I was thinking it's it's often uh, churches that are quite liturgical who would say the creed every mm, Sunday, mm. 
who have wandered from the truth and forgotten their God. And so how can we use the creed to ensure that we don't forget when the risk is that it may just become words for us where we don't, you know, mm. we don't actually mm. um, take those words to their necessary conclusion. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one. It's not a simple answer because I think it, we're dealing with denominations and people and all that sort of stuff. And there are some very liturgical churches that are very faithful to the scriptures. Um, and so I want to be careful to affirm that. Um, I, I think it's we've always got to be like anything in our Christian life, always uh, trying to dig back into the substance. So like Pete said with baptism, you know, you can have this outward form that looks great, but there's, if there's no substance, no faith, then it's just a, it's just a kind of show. Um, and the outward sign is meant to point to the, the substance, the faith. And I think that's where sometimes churches, as they uh, drift away from the scriptures, letting culture shape it, but they still go through all the, the ceremony and liturgy, it can almost be like a, a, a false assurance, um, a kind of a, a balm to that to say, oh, no, we're still doing all that stuff, but whether the priest or the minister actually believes it, whether that the, the Bible teaching that comes after is anything to do with that. Um, and so I think that's where, where you're just going through the processes because we've got this historical kind of faith that we're hanging on to, but we're not actually diving back into the scriptures. Um, and so I think things like um, saying to a couple of people, we'll probably in a little while do, maybe do a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed um, or the Nicene Creed and kind of work through and yeah. see how this is an expression um trying to capture the kind of the richness of the scriptures and and kind of have that interaction because then we're being really thoughtful. And I think that's the thing. When when we what we do on a Sunday is thoughtful and considered um, under God's word in the power of his spirit, trying to lead towards worship, not just kind of information, then uh, they were in a good place. Um, as the reformer said, everything always needs to be reformed under the scriptures. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's the key. Always be wrestling. Never kind of get comfortable with oh we've got we've got the formula. We'll just sit in that for the next generation. Yeah. Do you wish that we said the creeds more? Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. I, part of me says yes, but then I I don't like when I as I kind of shared a little bit when I first got converted went to a very faithful Bible teaching Anglican church and I'm very grateful for that in many ways, but uh, very traditional. And, and as a, someone who hadn't come from a church tradition, like I, I found it really hard to engage with this. We just do the same thing every week, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's where you can slip into that. If you go, Oh, we've got to say the creeds, you know, X amount of time. So we'll just, Oh, we'll slot it in here or whatever. Um, and that can be the risk of it. I think where we're thoughtful and we're saying, okay, this is a great way to respond or this is, good time to affirm something, um, then we're actually helping our people use the creeds well rather than just chucking it in there is because, well, of course you say it, you know. (laughs) So in a sense there's a the decision as to how we how often we use the creeds and and other aspects of this thick religion series of confessions Mm. and Mm. communion and uh, baptism to a lesser degree perhaps, but the frequency with which they take place in our Sunday gatherings is really mainly a decision for the outsider. It's a decision to say that you know we want to um, ensure that uh, as our, f- our people invite friends to church, church is accessible for mm. their friends and it's something that they can understand and they can relate to. Um, but the tools like the creeds and confessions, they're really rich resources for our spiritual lives. Yeah, and it would yeah. be a great thing to go, hey, for my quiet times for the next 
you know, week, I'm going to go through a creed and see where these things are in scripture. And, you know, that'd be really, really good soul food, mm, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I just want to, I think, yes, we want to be, church is essentially for believers. Like it's the gathering of God's people. And so we don't want to be kind of over visitor focus where we, we don't want to say anything or do anything, which is not, not what you're saying, but I just yeah. want to make sure um, we have that clear, but we want to be sensible about it and accessible. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's my, that intelligible. was intelligible. Yeah. And my experience, I remember an old minister friend of mine telling me the day when they decided to move to um, PowerPoint and over screens was where he looked at this new family who come to church and you needed three or four different books, a hymn book, a prayer book, a Bible and something else. And it was this page, this page, and they just like, they were dropping books everywhere. They didn't know where they were supposed to be. And you go, okay, that's, that's a problem. Because yeah. someone is new, they can't even keep up, you know. So that's where it's, yeah, I think that's where you kind of let's, we need to be more accessible at that point. Yeah. yeah. And that's a healthy example, I think, of looking at the way that we have done things and going, okay, conservatism, which might argue in that case, uh, just keep doing it the way you've done it, keep using the books. Well, that would be an unhelpful way to yeah. continue with church life. Yeah. But it's also unhelpful to say, well, sheer progressivism, we're going to get rid of all the things in the past and we're just going to yeah, go ahead our own exactly. way. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, I heard an interesting uh, conversation through the week uh, about the, 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 so the three creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, mm. which we didn't get to yesterday. We'd probably still be saying it yeah, now that's if right. we had a crack. <laughs> uh, but it talked about how the Athanasian Creed was medicinal and the others were sort of the regular diet. So the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed, regular diet. So the, that idea that um, the Athanasian Creed written into a very specific context and sort of written to um, compound error and heretical theology mm, in the mm. church, whereas the Nicene Creed and sort of like Nicene Creed and Apostles' Creed are sort of regular diet for us. Um, do you think that's a helpful way for us to think about the creeds as sort of regular diet? And if so, how is it that they teach us and how is it that the creeds mold us because on on surface level they might just seem like of course these things are true mm. but there's more depth to them than that yeah and i look i would say i think all of the creeds have a medicinal element like historically i think the apostles creed was written against um kind of the gnostic influence that you know that god is this idea that um Flesh is bad, and you know, the spirit's got to escape, and that's kind of the view. And actually, really kind of ground it in reminding, grounding everything God's done in uh, in creation. Um, and then the Nicene Creed is seeing a bit more of a response to um, the the Arian heresy, which was saying that there was a time when the sun was not uh, that the sun was created, and he may be the highest of the creation order, but he's still created. And so you see in um, the Nicene Creed that whole stuff about one God. Um, uh, where is it there? Um, begotten from the Father before yeah. all ages, God from God, That's light it. from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Of one being with the Father. Yeah. So, um, and you see them kind of pushing into that. And then Athanasian Creed pushes that even further because of the controversy is still, and he, yeah. and it's, I mean, if you have the time, reading the Athanasian Creed is brilliant because it's such, what you see is this really careful, faithful kind of, Here's what this, we've discovered. Here's what this, the Bible tells us about God, and I'm, we're finding words to be really clear about it. Yeah. Um, and you can just see them, uh, Athanasius and those who wrote it with him, kind of stepping that out, which is really helpful. Um, and you see the you see what's at stake in the Athanasian yeah, Creed. You yeah. Know, if if you cannot affirm this, let him be anathema. Yeah. Um, it's sort of if if this is not what you believe, you are not a Christian. Yeah. It's quite yeah you know, clear right. on that. Yeah. On yeah. That. 
Yeah, so I think I think they they all have a medicinal element, um, and I think um, yeah, it's just sometimes teaching through the creeds, um, and and I think I mean it was really interesting. I, I read a blog a few years ago just that um, in the UK they were seeing a bit of like millennials turning up to liturgical churches, um, not necessarily because they wanted to get to know Jesus, but there was this longing for something sacred, something yeah. older than them, because our our progressive kind of modern world, everything changes so fast, everything fresh and new. And there was this longing for this sense of um, something deeper and, and richer. And I think in a church, um, leaning back into the creeds occasionally, helpfully, appropriately, if we said, reminds us that, again, there is this rich, deep Christian faith that has been there, you know, 2,000 years ch- churches have been saying this stuff and affirming this stuff together. We're not we haven't invented everything in the last 10 years of church, you know, like we've actually got this real history and we're standing on the shoulders of others, yeah. um, which keeps us, keeps us a bit humble and um, keeps reminding us of the, the depth of, the, of our faith as a church. Indeed. Well, let, let's do some of that standing on the shoulders of others now then. Let's, let's have a little bit of a look at the Nicene Creed and see if we can have a, a little bit more of a, uh, an unpack, which we didn't quite get the chance to uh, in the sermon yesterday because of time. Uh, this is the benefit of the podcast. We've got a little bit more <laughs> yeah, time to right, breathe and get right. into things. So let's take that first um, uh, stanza. Stanza? There's a, formal, Verse? there's a formal word. Yeah, there? I don't I can't yeah. remember what it is. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. What's distinctive about that, especially that last line as we're thinking about the Father? Uh yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting when that's a phrase that you get in Colossians chapter 1. We read yesterday that all things were made by the Son and for the Son, and yet what they're doing here is putting that on the Father as the creator. Um, and so you again see that, that element of really wrestling really powerfully with the Trinity, with the Father, Son, and Spirit, um, uh, as God is, God is the creator, the Father who made all things. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, because it's easy for us to fall into the, the the trap of thinking, well, the father creates and the son, he does sort of the saving bit yep. and then the spirit, his he does stuff now, but father, son and spirit create yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah, God is always unified. You know, I remember he asked that question, like who, who, who created the world, the father, the son or the spirit? And the answer is yes, yep. like all together. <laughs> yep. There's not a division in, in God. Yeah. Um, so then we roll on. Um, yes, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence or of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. And then it continues, but all of that bit is before he's incarnate. Mm. And then it continues, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Yeah. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. This is the same person, mm. same son, mm. eternally of the Father, who was before incarnation and then as incarnate. He was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again. According to the scriptures, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Yeah. It's really interesting if you look at the creed on one page, like two-thirds of it or three-quarters almost is about Jesus, about the Son. And that's a reminder that what we're not talking about kind of just a theistic kind of speculative God, but actually we're engaging with um, God's disclosure, revealing of himself, him breaking into our world in his Son, 
um, Jesus Christ. And that is the the kind of center and the focus of what the church and what the, the gospel is about, right? So, um, so you're having that really carefully unpacked. And he's the um, Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Which yeah. is significant. Yeah. So for a, um, a first century Jew, that was like a massive statement because there's only one Lord. Um, it's not, um, they wouldn't have used it in the term, like you say, in Lord equals master. Um, they used Lord to speak about God because they couldn't use his name. Um, and so for that to be said is actually a statement of like almost that's enough, you know. Um, so just to bring, for, for those who are perhaps newer to things, uh, when we see in the Old Testament, L-O-R-D, all capitalized, mm. that is a specific Hebrew word uh, that some people would try and pronounce Yahweh, mm. some would pronounce Jehovah, we don't quite yep. know exactly yeah. how it's pronounced. But that is the name of the Lord, the name of God throughout the Old Testament that uh, was never pronounced. We don't know how the word is yeah, yeah. because uh, is, uh, Jewish people wouldn't pronounce it because of the reverent, reverence yeah. for God. Yeah. Um, but that we see that Lord and when mm. the uh, the Greek um, inter- uh, translators for the Old Testament put it in, they were like, well, we've got to put something in there, yeah, so we'll put Lord. Yeah. And then that is what comes into yeah. Um, yeah. to Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And so the fact that they would call Jesus Lord, like Thomas, my Lord and my God, he, yeah. when he meets the risen Jesus, is like, okay, you are God the Son. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and so that's a massive statement. And and in the in the early church time, that was a massively countercultural, defiant statement over against Caesar being Lord, They're saying Jesus is Lord. There is only one Master, one King, one Lord, one one sort of God the Son over us, and that's Jesus. And we don't accept. Caesar is Lord. Um, so imagine that every Sunday when they they gathered together and they said a creed, they were defying the Roman Empire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and they didn't know who was listening or who was coming in. You know, that, that's a um, yeah, really powerful kind of humbling sense, isn't it? It is, yeah. and it, you know, it reminds me that uh, the scene where the Pharisees and the tax collectors are trying to catch Jesus out, and they said, you know, should we pay taxes or not? And Jesus says. You got a denarius? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I think I've got one here. You know, they whip one out of the back pocket. Mm. He says, who's, who's inscriptions on it? I say, Caesar's. She says, well, give to Caesar what yeah, is Caesar's. Yeah, it's his coin because he's got his head on it. That's right. <laughs> and give to God what is God's. That is, yeah. Caesar has uh, a place. There's a realm where government mm. is important and human authorities have been established under God, but everything else belongs yeah. to God. Yeah, and so you see Paul saying, you know, pray for kings and authorities and you know, be good citizens and so on, um, because uh, under the Lord, under, Jesus yeah, Christ. under Lord Jesus Christ. But don't don't worship Caesar as God or put him as the ultimate authority. Yeah, yeah. I love that week. To, that the week, the the regular pattern of defying Caesar. Mm. You know, that's what the early yeah. church was doing. Yeah, uh, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Interestingly, uh, given to the Spirit there, uh, the Giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And this is where we see the technicality of some mm. of this language and just how intentional it is. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life and to life in the world to come. Mm. Amen. Take mm. us through the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. Yeah, well, this is where I feel like I'm... Stepping a little bit into slightly, you know, there's very detailed theological debates, but essentially um, it's called the filioque clause, which is the Latin means kind of and the son. And so it was a bit of a debate in early church that whether the, the spirit um, proceeded was uh, uh, given from the father only or also and from the son. And the church kind of East and Western church, so the 
kind of Rome, what became the Roman church versus the kind of Eastern, you know, the Orthodox church, they kind of divide, one of the things they divided on was this phrase. Um, and there's debate about whether that's clear in the scriptures and then whether you're uh, having semantics about whether if, if the spirit proceeds from the father through the son, whether it's also and the son, you know. Um, and so I, I, it obviously was a massive um, struggle and debate um, back then, but seems it's one of those things that seems a little bit, do I say silly <laughs> now to have that? Um, but it's really, it's affirming that um, essentially that, uh, that the Father and the Son are the giver of the Spirit. Um, and that reminds us of the order in the Trinity. The Spirit didn't send the Son. Um, you know, the Father sends the Son. The Son comes to do the Father's work and he's always seeking to do his Father's will. Um, and then um, they, uh, they together send the Spirit. So in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches, he says, you know, um, this uh, Jesus, whom you crucified, is now Lord and Christ and ascended to the Father's side. He's poured out. So he has poured out what you now see in here, which is the Holy Spirit of the day of Pentecost. Yeah. Um, or in John's Gospel, and, and Jesus says, you know, I will send. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll ask the Father and he will send. Like it's yeah. both together. So so that's what, um, you know, and there is sometimes you feel with some of the debates in church history where they're, they're kind of, you know, you get enough people in a room for long enough, they're going to find some really detailed thing to to fight over. Yeah, and, yeah. and perhaps perhaps it's easier to see than the need for that argument when you think about the the sun, uh, because where you have people who are saying that the sun is not um, eternally begotten of mm. the father. Well, then, you, then at that point, if you're denying that, then you're saying that the sun is not God because you're saying, well, he was created. Mm. He's mm. the first creation or something. Yeah, And that's, yeah. that's a heretical position. And you're yeah. saying, well, because at that point... Christ can't save us. You wrap into all sorts of yeah. problems with the faith, yeah. and so there's always there's always good reason for the careful work that's been mm. done in these creeds. Yeah, and I'd want to say to anyone listening who kind of goes, "Oh, I just can't keep up with all this intricacy." Um, you're not saved by whether you can recite the creed or whether you can point to Bible verses and explain it to someone. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But in the early church, if you deny what the creeds say, which is you know that Jesus is God the Son. Um, then that's when you're, you're not a Christian. So you're not saved by if you can't understand something, but actually do you do you reject um, what the Bible's teaching? Do you reject what the creeds are reflecting? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really uh, helpful word to end on. Uh, we're saved by faith alone, uh, and yet we ought to have this 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 posture of of learning and hunger to see you know, yeah. the, the richness of the faith that we've inherited. So uh, Piper says in one of his books that um, seeing is savoring, mm. and if you're not, deep in the scriptures and wrestling with big stuff you you can't see you know you don't have that moment of standing on a on a cliff and and the clouds clear and you see this beautiful view that moment of being stunned um, and so i think that's what we do just yeah don't stress about it but keep on wanting to get to know god better and better and deeper that's it mm. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to another week of our, uh, our podcast, going deeper into uh, all things Norse Anglican sermon related. Uh, we've got one more week of Thick Religion coming yeah. up next week. We're looking at communion, yeah. the Lord's Supper, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to walking us through that. Uh, so until next time, make sure you uh, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcatcher so you get notified week by week of what comes our way. And we'll see you next time. See ya. Thank you for listening. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to connect with us at norwest.org.